Um, and I thought, oh, I wish it was a set thing. I wouldn't have to pray so hard about what I should be preaching on. And uh, I had one thing in mind and I was thinking about it and then I sort of actually got around to saying, what do you want me to say, Lord? And I really felt, he said, just tell them how wonderful I am. So that's what this morning is about. It's what the service is about. How wonderful Jesus is. We've already sung so much. Um, if, you know, it's not a very English thing, is it? To tell someone how wonderful you are. It may be a boyfriend might praise his girlfriend to someone else. You might talk about how wonderful Liverpool are compared to West Ham. Or one, at least. I can't, don't know if that was... A, just like to be a bit controversial there. Normally I don't pay any attention. But my son sent me a text from Ikea yesterday. And he said, oh no. The first text was saying, Kirsty's got me to come to Ikea on a Saturday. And then later on, he sent a text saying, on the other hand, it's 4-1 up against West Ham, so it can't be all bad. But normally we, we don't sort of do that. We wouldn't say to somebody else, go on, go and tell them how wonderful I am. But Jesus wants me to tell you, in a little way, just how wonderful he is. And I felt there were two readings for this. The first is... One of my favourites, John chapter 1, the first 18 verses. When I was first a Christian, I learnt two parts of the Bible off by heart. And I've let that go a bit, but one of them was John chapter 1 and the other one was Ephesians chapter 1. There's so much in them and it's so good to have things in your head by heart if you can. And John chapter 1 is all about Jesus. I'm going to read it through and then read 2 Timothy through again as well and then look at some of the verses. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world... And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born of not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, pitched his tent among us. 
We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. But God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Then 2 Timothy chapter 1. From Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve as my forefathers did, with a clear conscience, as day and night I constantly remember you in my prayers, recalling your tears, I long to see you, so that I may be filled with joy. I've been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord, or ashamed of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Saviour, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am, yet I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Jesus is wonderful. He's wonderful because he was in the beginning. In the beginning was the word. And we're not even going to talk about what it means that God was the word, that Jesus was the word, the very spoken word of God. That, that's the whole thing in itself. But he was there in the beginning. Now, I've read various accounts of the beginning that the latest scientists assure us are true. I love science. I love reading science books. I got a lovely present, which was a whole big book, this big, about the, the history of quantum physics. And I really love these things. Um, you have to take them on faith. There's, well, I have no evidence for any of these things. They may or may not be true, according to my experience. I don't know. In my experience, God is true. 
I have a, I worked at Harwell, an atomic energy research establishment. I made my living in a nuclear reactor, um, scattering neutrons, apparently. What it meant was, I made an adjustment there, and I got a reading from there, and I wrote it down, and then you draw through graphs. And from that, you could apparently tell the internal structure of um, a crystal, of whatever it might be, ferrous sulfate, ferrous sulfide. I knew the world's leading expert on ferrous sulfide. It was all in faith. I mean, I, I, you know, I didn't know if it was true or not. I just did this. I knew that if I put those figures in, <coughs> I would get a peak on the graph there. And that, that would mean that something I couldn't possibly see was happening in a crystal in the structure I couldn't possibly see of it. Um, I believed it was true because I saw this. I believe the gospel is true because of what I've seen in my life. I have more evidence for the gospel in my life than I do for any of the science books I've read. They may or may not be true. I just enjoy reading them. But they tell you the most amazing things about the beginning. The Big Bang. And they go into all sorts of details of how they think it happened and all sorts of equations and things and how wonderful it was. But they're not more amazing than the picture that God gives us in Genesis telling us that God did it and the wonder of God doing it. And the more wonderful the beginning was whether the scientists are true in what they tell me or whether the explanation of understanding what God meant in Genesis chapter 1 when he gave it to us is that or something else, I don't know. I will know. I will know. And that's a wonderful thing. And I don't really need to let it bother me because I'm not doing an O level or an A level at school or a degree and I don't have to argue anything out. I just know. But whatever the beginning was, how much more wonderful than I can imagine it was, Jesus was there in the beginning. However big that beginning was, however wonderful Jesus was there in the beginning, right from the beginning, he's more wonderful than any beginning there was. But he was in the beginning with God face to face with God, as close as you can possibly get with God. Because it goes on in the next verse to say, and the word was God. And one translation puts it, the, good new, the new English Bible, what, in, a, in an attempt to explain what it means, what God was, the word was. However big you can imagine God to be, Jesus is. There was a time when I didn't believe because I couldn't conceive of a God who was bigger than the universe. When I come to think of it, after I did believe, I was convinced, I realised I couldn't conceive of the universe. You know, 
I can't really conceive of what's going on in my body and my brain. I believe it. Why should it be difficult to believe in a God if I can believe all these things apparently that the scientists tell me that are wonderful when I read them? It seems strange. God, Jesus, whatever your, however big a picture you can get of God, that's Jesus. And someone said, and I can't remember, there's probably people with good memories here, it, it, was a, it may have been William Carey, but it may have been Spurgeon or someone said, what we need is not great faith in God. What we need is faith in a great God. Oh, hopefully I'll remember to come back to that later. And through him all things were made. He wasn't just at the beginning, he made the beginning. So however big the bang was, however instantaneous and enormous and amazing beyond our comprehension, it was made through him, through Jesus. This is how wonderful he is. And in him was life, it goes on to say. And the astronomers and scientists, who I love, are devoting an enormous amount of energy and thought to trying to find out what they can about the beginning and they're desperately trying to find life out there. That seems to be the most desperate search of these scientists because they, without God in their lives, they feel alone. How can we possibly be alone in the universe? There must be life on Mars. There must be life somewhere. And every, if you look at these parts of the news, they will have found a planet somewhere in a far distant galaxy that could possibly be the right shape and size and distance from its sun to support life. So there must be life in the universe. They're desperate to find life elsewhere. Why? I think because they're lonely without God. They're looking for something else. They don't want to think they're alone in the world, in the universe, that this is all the life there is. And it does seem to me it's such a desperate search for life. But we know where to look for life. Jesus is the one who gives life that's true life. Because it says that life was the light of men. Light's so important. We, um, anybody had an amaryllis this Christmas? Uh, our amaryllis, our amaryllis got to be about this high. It says in my book on English culture, the English don't boast. Well, our amaryllis <laughs> got to be this high. And the thing with our amaryllis was, every day I had to turn it round. Because every day you'd find it was doing this. And I had to turn it round to that, so that by the next day it would do that, but of course, the next day it was that again, and I had to turn it around again. It was growing towards the light. It knows what it wants. It wants the light, and every living thing wants the light. And without light, nothing can grow. And it means that if we want to see how life should be lived, and if we want to live properly, then we need to look at Jesus, because in him is life. When we do something wrong, we make a mistake, 
we get, oh dear, I failed there again. People say, well, at least it shows you're human. And it doesn't. It doesn't, don't ever say that to anybody. You may let them say it to you and not kick up a fuss, but don't ever say it to anybody. It doesn't show you're human, it shows you're defective. And it shows I am defective. It's when we get things right that it shows we're human. If we want to know what being human, true human, looks like, you look to Jesus. It's not getting things wrong that shows we're human. It's every time we do something that's a bit more like Jesus that shows we're human. Because Jesus shows us what being a human is really like and what God intended. And so it goes on. To all who received him, he gave the right to become children of God. So if you've given your life over to Jesus and received him into your life, then you are a child of his and no one can take it from you. And he says elsewhere, you know, that no one can take him from your... He will not release his grip on anyone who is his. No one can snatch one of his away. He became flesh and made his dwelling among us. His glory is of the glory of the one and only. He came from the Father. He's full of grace and truth. From the fullness of his grace we've received one blessing after another. Grace and truth came through him. He's at the Father's side. He's made the Father known to us. This is how wonderful Jesus is. He saved us. I'm jumping now into Timothy. (laughs) He saved us and called us to a holy life. I had a dream about my friend Nick Hans. It was because of him I was converted. He He was a spiritualist. I happened to go into his room at lunchtime at Harwell and heard a cassette of a seance that he was listening to. And I thought, this person is being controlled from outside himself. There must be some sort of spiritual realm after all. I can't be an atheist. I'd better start looking into these things. And I looked into all sorts of things. All sorts of Eastern religions and mysticism and read all sorts of things. And I read the Koran and then I read the Bible. And the Bible was real. Nothing else was, but the Bible was real. And I gave my life to the Lord on the 25th of March, in a month's time, when I was 21. And I started to pray for Nick. And I had a dream that that Nick was in a swamp, a horrible swamp, And Jesus came and pulled him out of that swamp. He came and got in the swamp and pulled him out. And that's what he does for us. He comes into the swamp with us and he pulls us out. But he doesn't just leave us sitting on the side of the swamp wondering what to do, thinking, shall we get back in? He shows us the path to take in life and he walks along that path with us and my dream of Nick came true and it was a most wonderful time when a few years later I got a letter from him saying how he had been pulled from the swamp of spiritualism and brought to Christ and was walking with him and it's it's a wonderful thing So he calls us to a holy life. 
He walks with us in that. It says, this grace was given to us in him before the beginning of time. Um, we're not last minute afterthoughts. Oh, it's Doreen's birthday today. Oh, we haven't done anything about it. We'd better send someone out to go and get some flowers. Well, actually, that isn't the case. Uh, they're already out there. And the cake. You didn't get away with it, Doreen, sneaking in quietly, thinking no one would remember your birthday and you wouldn't have the embarrassment of being sung to. You will be sung to later on. But you know that last minute feeling. Oh, crumbs, it's their birthday and haven't done anything. We are not last minute thoughts. It was from the beginning of time that Jesus chose us and knew he was going to die for us. It says he has destroyed the power of death. He's made it useless. He's robbed it of its power. It cannot control us anymore. Oh, Hebrews. Might be a moment. I've got it in here. In In Hebrews 2 it says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. We have no need to be kept in slavery by a fear of death. It's robbed it of its power. Death for us is just a way of going to be with Jesus. Fully. Absolutely. Seeing him. Knowing him as, you know, we are now fully known. Death is an enemy. It was never intended. But it's an enemy that's defeated. It's an enemy that can't do anything to us now. It can try and capture us. But all it will do is bring us into the presence of Jesus. You know, it's as if it's enemy soldiers come and grab you and take you to their prisoner of war camp and push you in it. And they suddenly find, to their amazement, they brought you home. Can you imagine what it was like if you know, you were there in occupied France or somewhere. And you were captured by, you know, the Germans. And they came and they took you into their prisoner of war camp, they thought, and they suddenly found out you were back in England. At home, in peace, in a wonderful place. Amazing. Well, that's what Jesus has done with death. We're not captured by death and put into a horrible place, purgatory, we're taken by death to be with Jesus. He's made it real. That's how wonderful he is. And he says he's brought life to light. We know that. Not just existing, but living. He's brought immortality to light. It's not just for now, it's forever. Because he destroyed the power of death. And he's entrusted the good deposit to us. Jesus, this wonderful Jesus, has entrusted us with the good deposit of knowing him and being able to tell other people how wonderful he is. 
And he gives us his Holy Spirit to help us guard that. We're not in this on our own. Jesus has helped us. He's given us everything. Isn't he wonderful? But why does Jesus want me to tell you how wonderful he is? This is where I get to talk about someone behind their back because they're not quite well enough to be with us now. But normally sitting over there next to Maggie in that empty chair, which will be a soft one, would be Val. Now, I just want to ask this. I, I will tell her how rude I'm being to her when I get home. How many of you have helped Val up out of that chair? Did you find it easy? No. I did. I know I said English people don't boast. It says so in my book. I found it easy. There's a reason I found it easy. She had trust in me. And so I would come, I would do this, and she would stand up. It was easy for me. I didn't take any effort. A little while ago, she was, we got a call because she was on the floor in her house. And we went round. And I was able to get her up off the floor in one or two stages, supporting her, getting her up. All by myself. Not because I am amazingly strong and took her weight and lifted her, but because she had confidence in me. And she thought she wasn't going to fall and so she came up and stood up. Uh, I suppose that was something I discovered at work. It was so often the case that people, they couldn't do anything. Oh, with the carers and that, they'd be all over the place. And with me, I'd just go with them and it was no trouble. Not because I am brilliant, but because they had confidence in me and they didn't, they they relaxed with me. Back to my other reading. Can't find it. Matthew 11. (coughs) Jesus said, (coughs) Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And Jesus wants me to tell you how wonderful he is, because he's also humble. There is a false humility that we English have, that when someone says, oh, that was wonderful, you say, oh, no, no, there's nothing really. And by doing that, sometimes we we, we deny what God has given us and the abilities that God has given to us and we deny that person who wants to thank us the chance to thank us. I, that was something when I was first converted, I got told off about quite strongly. You're not letting that person thank you. You shouldn't do that. 
You should let people thank you. You should acknowledge what you're able to do because God has enabled you to do it. Being humble does not mean denying what you can do and the gifts that God has given you. I think of Tom as fairly humble. Tom Matters. And yet, last week, he sent three of us here, four of us here, a stiff email telling us that our meetings, our leadership meetings, were going on too long and we needed to sort that out. <clears throat> and we did. That's not because he's big-headed. That's because he knew, you know, he's our minister in training, but he's taken on a responsibility for South Green. And it's not because he's big-headed, it's because he felt something and that was his responsibility. So, <clears throat> we kept our meeting very short and we got, as far as I know, everything done. Jesus says he is humble and wonderful. He wants you to know just how wonderful he is, not because he likes boasting, not because he likes telling you know, people that his amaryllis is taller than yours. But because he wants you to trust him. He wants you to do what Val does and did with me and have confidence in him. Take his yoke upon you as you go out into this week. That's why he's wonderful. He wants you to remember that. 